0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Woo! What a beautiful day. How was that worship? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Worship is so important. It's like the stretch before the big game. Amen? That's why we come. We get here for worship because we need it to get our hearts ready and our minds ready to receive the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Well, we are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 today. If you want to turn there, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Anybody need a Bible? Keep your hand up right over here, Tom. couple over here. Who we got over there? Oh, here comes Ariel. Right there. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Oh, man, beautiful couple of days. Amen. If you're visiting today, we just want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us. Um, we got a couple of announcements. On um, Friday, June 30th, right here at 6.30 at night, we're going to be showing the Jesus Revolution. All right. Um, it's it's free. We're not charging people, but we're just having a little, you know, intimate showing with family, but you're welcome to invite Friends and bring a lost person. I mean, you know, somebody doesn't know Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm not trying to offend you, but you need Jesus. Um, so I would encourage you guys to invite someone out. Um, it's going to be Friday, June 30th, 6:30 right here, uh, and then uh, that following Sunday, two days after that, we're going to do a, a bapticue. We're going to uh, go down to Anini after the service. And we're going to do a baptism for all those that get saved maybe on Friday night or those that want to rededicate. And so bring food down, potluck. We'll have the grills going. It'll be fun. It'll be down at Anini Beach. It'll be a great time. So, um, what else do we got? We got, oh, um, we've got a youth program that's going on Saturdays that goes on from 5 to 7. We need some more bodies to help. You can contact Chauncey. Chauncey's right there. Chauncey, raise your hand. He's right behind the camera there. Say hi, Chauncey. Okay, Chauncey, everybody said hi, is signing up, so get their names and we'll get them plugged in. Uh, Wednesday night's Bible study, Pastor David's been going through the Gospels, that's been awesome, that's at 6.30. Don't forget, we do have childcare, so bring your kids. We've got nursery and childcare and fun for the youth outside, and we feed your kids, so even better. All right, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, say amen if you're there. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather in your name. We thank you. We understand the importance of not forsaking the gathering of the brethren. We realize how powerful it is when we get together. It's not like watching on YouTube. It's not like listening online. There's a dynamic that is so intense. The move of the Spirit stirring up our hearts. As we gather together in your name. And Lord, we've prayed to you. We've worshipped you. We've gotten ourselves ready to receive the word of God today. We pray now that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Bless this time we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I've entitled the message, Vessel of Honor. Are you a vessel of honor? We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 26, but I I want to back it up a little bit to recap what we looked at uh, last week. We saw that Paul, who is in a Mamertine prison awaiting to be put to death, is encouraging Timothy. Rather than playing the role of doom and gloom, my situation I'm in, he he wants to encourage Timothy Timothy and all of us who would read this letter to keep pressing on no matter the circumstances that you're in. Paul wasn't bummed out that he was going to be put to death. He was looking forward to being with his Lord and Savior. He was looking forward to a new body. He had run the race. He had run it well. He had finished his course. He said, you know, here's the amazing statement. He says, my blood is not on any of your hands. I mean, your blood is not on my hands is what he was saying. He was saying, in other words, in English for you and me, everybody I came in contact with, I gave him the gospel man, what a testimony, huh? I want to say that. You ever just kind of like, you know, you come up and you feel God nudging you to talk to that person. You're like, yeah, not right now. (laughs) Do you realize sometimes God will put you in a position just for a time such as that? You know, sometimes, you know, when you get like a flat tire, your car breaks down on Cahill Highway, you're like Great, thanks. I'm missing my meeting I'm supposed to go to, but God has a divine meeting for you. The tow truck driver. Do you ever see those kinds of things happening in your life? I remember once I was going to tunnels, and I was surfing, I had 1 hour. That was it, small window, driving out the tunnels. Waves were pumping. You know, get out there. It's, it's like midday. I got one hour. And if you know tunnels and you surf tunnels, it takes at least 10 to 15 minutes to paddle out, 10 to 15 minutes to paddle in. So I got a half hour. Right. I'm running down the beach to get in the water and I hear Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve. I'm like, I don't hear him. Pastor Steve. I'm like, oh. forgive me. Pray for me. And I stopped, and this guy started to pour out his heart and what he was going through, and, and I realized at that time, that's why I was there. You know, we never know why God puts us in the place. We, never, <clears throat> we tend to look at the bad things that happen to us. Our, our discomforts as like, why, why, why? Try to look for why God has you there. We are to be vessels of honor for the Lord clean vessels, useful for the master. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul encouraging Timothy to be strong in the grace of God, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men. You and I's job is to share the things of God with other people, to pour into our youth, It is so important to commit godly things to faithful men and women. Are you faithful today? He then likens our walk with Jesus like a soldier. We're in a war. We're in the army of the Lord. We are on the right team. And as soldiers, he says, listen, one of the most important things about a soldier, you must endure hardship. Anybody gone through anything? Hold on. I got a call. It's Jesus. Hold on. Yes, Lord. I don't know about you, but that, that, that battle is intensifying. The world has gone nuts. Hello. And if you don't think so, it's because you haven't looked around lately. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Amen. Amen. We, know, we must endure as soldiers, and with that, he says, don't let yourself be entangled with the things of this world. What does that mean? That, hey, listen, we all have to deal with the things of this world, right? I mean, you gotta buy groceries. You gotta, you gotta. There's politics. There's government stuff. There's all. There's we gotta deal with the world. But he says, don't let it entangle you to where the things of this world have such a grip on you, you can't serve God. And too many Christians have gotten their eyes off Jesus and their eyes on the world, and they're so entangled with politics and and uh, their their career and and fortune and fame and power and what everybody thinks that 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 they're no heavenly good to God. They're going to heaven. They love Jesus. They're, they're saved by faith, but God can't use them because we get, we get so consumed with stuff in this world that we get our eyes off of Jesus. And we did that so well during COVID and shutdowns. So everybody was in such a panic and and, and we started to get our eyes off of Jesus, and we started following the news four or five hours a day. And, and I had to challenge us and just say, listen, can we get in our Bible four or five hours a day? Would that be a good thing? I think so. Is Jesus still on the throne? Absolutely. Did, this, did, did COVID take him by surprise? I don't think so. Does he know how to get you to the finish line? Absolutely. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And then he likens our walk to uh, being an athlete, competing in the special games. You know what I'm saying? We're all running a race. And the good news is you're not competing against anyone. You're only competing against yourself. So if you're here today and you say, I never do good in sports, you're only competing against yourself. Run the race. But he says in order to run the race and to win and to get a crown, you got to keep the rules, Right? Everybody's here. We've all played sports guaranteed. Everybody's played sports some kind of sports. There's rules. You break the rules. You don't win. So what are the rules? It's right here. The Bible. The Bible's the rules. See, we, 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 we can't say we love Jesus and then live in a lifestyle of sin and expect to get a crown. We, we broke the rules. We've got to play by the rules. And then he likens our walk as farmers. And boy, as farmers, boy, you got to be patient, right? Are you patient? I'm not very patient. When I pray, I want to see, see answered prayer immediately, right? I want God, Lord, this is what I want, right? I don't like waiting. I don't know about you. I'm just, you know, I'm just being real. But a farmer has to be patient because you put that seed in, and the seed represents the Word of God, and you put it into that soil, represents the heart of man, and you wait. And our job is just to throw the seed. If you lead someone to the Lord, I guarantee somebody else talked to them before you. So we're throwing seed, we're watering. We just keep at it, and the harvest comes. Who gets the harvest? Jesus. I didn't save anybody. But you got to be patient. And even when we decide that we're going to live for Jesus... We, we have to we have to just be patient because, you know, our life was such a mess maybe in the past. I know mine was. And the thing is, if I sow to the flesh, I'll reap a world one. But if I sow to the spirit, I'll reap an abundance. But the harvest doesn't come the next day. Just because you changed your mind and started to live for Jesus today doesn't mean all these blessings are going to pour in the next day. Yeah. It takes time and you don't get a seed to get a whole crop. So you just sow to the good things. And be patient and don't lose heart. You know, I think some some Christians lose heart, you know, but you're going through something. I get it. We're all going through something. Maybe you've been praying and praying for months, maybe years. You still haven't got what you want. And you know what happens when you lose heart is that you can stop praying. And if you stop praying, guess what? I, so many times when people stop praying. The breakthrough was just around the corner. Don't stop praying. Revelation tells us that the elders are going before the throne with the prayers, the bowls of the prayers of the saints. Keep praying until that bowl fills and spills out. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Oh, man, that that is good news. Amen. And then he encourages us to remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, your days going good, remember Jesus. Your days going bad, remember Jesus. Your days going horrible, remember Jesus. Remember the author and the finisher of your faith. Remember the one that's going to get you to the finish line. Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David, who was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. For I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not changed. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is suffering for Jesus, but he's not ashamed He's seizing the opportunity to tell the guards about Jesus. He's seizing the opportunity to tell the inmates about Jesus. He's seizing the opportunity because he knows he's in God's will. And he says, boy, they can chain me. They can take away my church. They can take away my Bible. They can take away my brothers and sisters. But they can't take away my relationship. The word of God cannot be chained. I love that. You know, I encourage you guys, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a great book. Check it out. People that have suffered that were martyred for Jesus. And and there was this one guy, Polycarp, this sweet old man named Polycarp. He was in his 90s, been serving the Lord for 85 years. Wow. I'm not even close to that. And Christians, Paul's already dead. Christians are being persecuted. Christians are being fed the lions. are being chopped up, crucified, burned at the stake. And the word was out that you had to denounce Jesus as Lord and say, Caesar's Lord, or be put to death. And Polycarp was this little old man in his 90s. In the town that he was in, he was deeply loved by everybody, including the soldiers. He's like the sweetest old man ever. And he got word that the soldiers were coming to put him to death because he wouldn't say Caesar was Lord. And so you know what he did? He made them dinner. He made them dinner, and he waited for them, and they show up, and they go, Polycarp, I know you know we're coming. He goes, oh, oh, come in, sit, sit down, I made you dinner. Sit down, everybody eat. And they were eating, and they felt so bad. And the centurion comes to Polycarp and says, Polycarp, we don't want to do this, we have to do this. You just got to say, Caesar's Lord. Say it really fast. Caesar's Lord. You know, I just say it, we'll get out of here. <laughs> and you know what he said? He said, 85 years I've served my Lord, and he has always been faithful to me and has never let me down. How can I, after 85 years of that, turn my back on him? And they took him away. They tied him to a stake. And they said, we're going to light the fire. This is going to hurt. And you know what he said? It's not going to burn as hot as it's going to burn where you're going. And they lit the fire, and the fire was going. And tradition tells us that he didn't burn. And one of the soldiers got all worked up and fired a spear, and the spear hit him, and all the blood squirted out and put out the fire. Well, that's just tradition. We don't know. But I thought, wow, what a testimony before you go off to glory. Amen? We pick up in verse 11 that this is a faithful saying. For we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, some say this was like an early church hymn, a little song. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Are you in Christ Jesus today? That means that when you die, you will go to be with the Lord and you will live with him throughout all eternity. How good is that? But, you know, it's a little deeper than that. Because, you know, when you got saved, and you went and got baptized, it's symbolic of us dying to ourselves, right? When we go under the water, and we're going to do one in here in a couple weeks, right? And we come back up, and we're raised in newness of life. It's like going down under the water, dying to ourselves. Some of you, we got to hold down a long time. When that last bubble comes, we bring you up coughing. But we did our job. You're dead. We'll revive you. But all through the Bible, we see the importance of us as the children of God, dying to ourselves, picking up our cross and following after him. Amen. Amen. I have to die daily. We're, you know, Romans 12:1 says we're a living sacrifice. What does that mean? That means a living sacrifice is different from a dead sacrifice because a dead sacrifice can't crawl off the altar. But a living sacrifice, when things get tough, we can kind of crawl off the altar, don't we? I have. I don't know if you have, but I have. We have to die daily. You may say, you know what? Yesterday I died to myself. But are you living for yourself today? It's got to be a daily thing. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow after Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, sometimes I'll talk to people and they're saying, you know what? I'm just dying to myself, picking up my cross and following after Jesus. I'm going through some heavy stuff right now with the family. I'm going through some heavy stuff at work. Uh, The doctor just told me I got cancer. That's not denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus. That's just called life. And my heart goes out to you if you're going through those problems. But that's called life. What's dying to yourself, picking up your cross and following after Jesus? It's when you have an opportunity to do something for you, but you decide not to do it in order to bless somebody else and help someone else. It's rather than doing what I want to do, I'm going to do something for someone else that will bless them. It's like saying to yourself, you know, I'm going to sit down and watch hours of television, but you know what? Rather than doing that, I'm going to bake some chocolate chip cookies for Pastor Steve. Probably a poor example, but you know what I'm saying? It's when you choose not to do what you want in order to bless somebody else. Didn't Jesus do that for us? What did Jesus say? I I didn't come to be served. I came to what? Serve. Serve. He came to serve? I bet he would have been an awesome server. He said if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you've got to become the servant of all. Boy, we've got to take that to heart, amen? Verse 12, he says, if you suffer or endure, we shall also reign with him. Isn't that cool? You think of the parables of the talents when, you know, a guy got so many talents and he turned it into so many more, and, and Jesus said, you're going to be the ruler over ten cities, and another guy said, you're going to be the ruler over five cities. Listen, through your service for the Lord, we are going to reign with him. That's good news. And he's talking about the millennial kingdom reign. When Jesus comes back to the earth, puts down evil, sets up his kingdom, just refurbishes all the earth and turns it into a place of the Garden of Eden all around, worldwide, and we reign with him for a thousand years. That's his promise to us. And then he says this, if we deny him, he will also deny us. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, he offers you a gift. He died for your sins on the cross, rose on the third day, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's putting a gift out in front of you. You're saved by faith and faith alone, not by your works. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. He's putting a gift out there. Take the gift. If you deny the gift, he will deny you before the Father. You say, well, that's not very nice. He didn't do it. You did. And then look what it says after that in verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if you're faithless, if you're saying, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, you got to understand he cannot deny his word. And his word said if you reject him as Lord and Savior, it's called the unpardonable sin, he has to be faithful to himself. And keep his word and allow you to send yourself to hell because you didn't want to go to heaven because you didn't want to acknowledge him as the one that made everything possible for your life. You didn't want to be accountable to anyone. And when people tell me, they say, well, I don't believe in that whole Jesus thing. It doesn't change a thing. Why? Well, I don't believe that. I don't have faith in that. He remains faithful and he cannot deny himself. God will keep his word. You know, sometimes you hear in the Bible where it says, like King James, it'll say, you know, God repented. It's not repentance like a man. God doesn't need to repent. He doesn't sin. The word there in the King James is a a word that says God changed his mind. And some people will say, well, wait a minute. So God was wrong and now he changed his mind. No, God's never wrong. But he has to be faithful to his word. He cannot deny himself. If he says, do this, do that and do this, you will prosper. Guess what? You will prosper. He says, if you do this or that or this, you're going to go down and there's going to be some judgment. And I'm going to have to go after you, especially if you're my child. And then he comes after you. Why? Because he loves you. But if you do something wrong and then you come to the Lord and you say, you know, you know, the judgment's coming on you. But you say, Lord, I've been wrong. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. He has to be true to himself and forgive you. Praise Praise the Lord. Is that good news or what? Because here's the thing. People don't forgive you. People don't understand the grace of God. You know, if somebody you know messes with you, you say, you know what, stay away from me. You ain't co- Until you come back and get right, you ain't getting no blessings from me. Praise God, that's not God. The beauty of our God that we serve is that he still pours out his grace on us even when we mess up. And who are we to treat others differently? He cannot deny himself. And then he says there in verse 14, he says, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. What do you mean remind them of the things? Remind them about everything I've taught you, Timothy. Remind them about teaching sound doctrine. Remind them that God didn't give them the, the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Remind them that there's only one way. Remind them to stay true to doctrine. Remind them to get the false teachers out. Remind them of these things. And so with coming, with reminding them, a lot of times we'll teach stuff and we'll teach the same thing over and over. And I, over the years, I've, I've taught many of the books of the Bible over and over. And then we'll come to the, you know, and you guys know us, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Okay, you know, what, you know, get, you know where we're going after 2 Timothy, right? And some of you might say, you know what, I've heard Pastor Steve teach Titus before. Good. You know, when I hear people come up to me and they say, you know what, you said that before. I go, good, you remembered. You always say that. Good, you're getting it. We, we, we're, have you ever, like, heard some pastor say something and you go, that is amazing. I will never forget that. And then forget it. Only to hear somebody preach it five, six years later, and you go, I was going to never forget that. I can't believe I forgot that. I got to highlight that. I got to mark that. <laughs> we are called to bring you into remembrance of the word of God. Why? We forget. Our circumstances cause us to forget. I've taught so many books and I, I, I've got to keep saying it over and over because I'll tell you what, every time, it's funny because when I come to a certain book, I go, I've taught that before. I think I got this. But then the Lord takes me deeper. And I I look at my old notes from 10 years ago. I'm like, what was I saying then? I don't even have a clue. I got to, you know, God takes us deeper. And I'm sure Timothy heard Paul teach the same message over and over and over and use the same illustrations over and over. And I think it was so embedded in Timothy's head that he remembered. And that when Timothy would be sharing with one of the fellowships, that he would put those things into remembrance. There in verse 14, he says, So remind them of, the th- of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. There's a strong warning. A strong warning. And it's similar to some of the other warnings that we see where he says in verse 16 of the same chapter, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like a canker, like cancer, like gangrene. And then he says over in verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that it generates generates strife. Listen, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. We need to keep our focus on getting the gospel out and not arguing with each other, not dividing within the church. Because I know a lot of great pastors out there, we, we keep the essentials, the main things, the main things. But we have some different views on certain scriptures. But those scriptures don't deal with your, your eternal life. They don't deal with your salvation. It's just that they see it a little different than I see it, and that's okay. The Holy Spirit brings us to a place at a certain time, such a time as this. So I can deal with the idea that we don't agree on every little scripture, but we keep the main thing, the main thing, and that way we can work together to get the gospel out. Because people got different views on certain things. But as long as you preach Christ crucified, that Jesus died for our sins, you're saved by faith, he was of a virgin birth, he rose on the third day, he's seated, we're, we're brothers and sisters, But if you do music different than we do music, so what? If you use a different version of the Bible, who cares? If you baptize a different way than we baptize, oh, you guys you, 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 you lay them in backwards. Oh, everybody knows you go with the frontwards. <laughs> who cares? Just get them in the water. Let's not divide over these things. Let's keep the main thing. The main thing so he says to us stay clear of those who just want to argue rather than work together to get the gospel out for the good let's let's focus on that you know I used to go street witness witnessing a lot I haven't done it in a while but you stand on the corner and you're talking to people and you're sharing the love of God and I used to make a mess of it God had to teach me some things some grace you know and just just tell people you know Jesus loves you Jesus died for you. He just wants you to have eternal life. But you know, here's what would happen is that other Christians would see you doing that and you get these guys that want to come up and pick a fight with you. So you're here trying to share the gospel with somebody that doesn't know the Lord and you're just starting to get a little headway and some guy walks up and goes, oh, hey, what's your view on uh, the rapture? Pre-trib, mid-trib, three-quarter trib -trib, -trib, seven-eight-trib, post-trib? What's your view on eternal life? Like my view right now is my hands are on your neck strangling you. It's like I'm trying to share the gospel. A guy doesn't even know the Lord. You want to come up and pick a fight. So now we're arguing. He's like, why do I want what they got? They can't even get along. Subverting to the ruin of the hearers. If if Satan can't stop a church, he joins it. And if a church doesn't have the same cause going forward, getting the gospel out for Jesus Christ, we'll turn on each other. And we'll start arguing over pet verses or words. And we shouldn't be doing that. Arguing about, you know, when's the rapture? Or the, or the ten tribes lost? Or did, did the church replace Israel? Or arguing about books about the Bible. People arguing, oh, we're in the millennial kingdom reign. It's funny, the Jehovah's Witness always tell us that. They say Jesus came to us, uh, you know, in the early 1900s, m- uh, met with our, our, our elders, you know, in New York, in a secret chamber. And you, you're like, I thought all eyes were going to see when he came back. Oh, no, just the spiritual eyes. He came to our guys. I'm like, I'm like well, Matthew 24 says if, if anyone says Jesus is back, don't believe it. And even if they said they met in a secret chamber, don't believe it. Jesus' next return will be in the clouds to take his church out. Then, after that, he will deal with the tribulation and then he'll step foot on this earth. And the Mount of Olives will split in two and it will refurbish the world. And it's so funny how the Jehovah's Witness will tell you. And I'm not trying to bash them, I love them, I want to see them get saved. But you know what? A lot of you guys tolerate them coming to your door and, and they say they're Christians. They're not, they're lost. They need Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I used to make a mess of things when they came to my door. I mean, they come to my door. I'm like licking my chops, man. I'm like getting my napkin in the stuff. Here we go. My son, Austin, who does worship when he was like six, he saw me at the gate with them, and he comes walking out, "Papa, you want your Bible?" I go, "I'm good. I'm going to use theirs." And I made a mess of a lot of things. Now I, now I have more grace for them. And I just try to, I try not to talk so much. And I try to, like, show them stuff. And they say something, and then I just turn their Bible and go, look, read this. When you have people that are always dividing, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When you have Christians that are always dividing over things, Rather than uniting together for the same goal of getting the gospel out, it grieves God. And many people you'll find in the church will ask you questions not to learn, but to trap you, to cause division, fighting over words. It, I, I, I so get discouraged when I see other churches trying to undermine another church, saying, oh, you know, they really don't know what we know. You know, like, oh, you know, the, the, the Lord spoke to me and I know something the church doesn't know. You know what? That's a lie. Because right here, God tells me I got all I need right here with this. Everything I need to know is right here. So if you're telling me you got some new revelation that the church doesn't know about, you didn't get that from God. Because God says we have all we need right here. But we see people act or act like that and undermine and come to other fellowships and tell their people, you know, well, you know, you got a nice fellowship, but, you know, you're not doing this like we're doing, and you're not doing that, and they're fighting over words. They'll take a word and run with it. Did you know? Did you know what this word really means? They, they argue about the tenses of Hebrew words. They argue about the mood of Hebrew words. They, they argue about the parsing of verbs, uh, arguing about it. There's, there's like, there's stunting growth. They're not getting the gospel out. They're just arguing and causing division, and God hates it. And so he says, stay away from that. Stay away from people that just want to argue about words and vain babblings and stuff that doesn't even amount to anything, right? And then he says there in 15, he says, um, He says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How important that is for all of us. The word study there in the Greek is better translated be diligent. Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. You don't want to be ashamed. You ever been ashamed? You ever had somebody come up and ask you something about the Bible and you didn't know? And you were ashamed? Man, I I, I remember the first time the Mormons and the Jehovah's witness came to my door. Man, they knew their Bible. You know, they use a King James. Did you know that? But they have another translation that kind of really messes everything up, so they're really off key. But they know the King James, and then they try to, you know, apply it to their own writings, which messes them all up. But if you don't know your Bible, they will tear you up in front of your own house. And they'll ask you questions. I I, I remember a few times they said some stuff to me. I was ashamed because I didn't know. Why? Because I didn't study to show myself approved. I I wasn't diligent. And, you know, even, even today, I don't know about every once in a while, somebody will come up to me and ask me a question. And I have to be honest, I'm like, man, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to get back with you. And if I tell you I'm going to get back with you, I'm going to get back with you. I'm going to go home. I'm going to pull out books. I'm going to find out what that says. And I'm going to come back to tell you what it says so I won't be ashamed next time somebody asks me. Because you never know, you might have someone come up to you and say, hey, is there a verse in the Bible that says, God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son? And you're like, I don't know. If you don't know that, you should be ashamed. If you don't know that, you should be ashamed. That is basic Christianity 101. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son is what verse, church? John what? Oh, you guys are good. I know I'm just preaching to the choir here, but there might be somebody listening online. Study to show thyself approved, not to be ashamed. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. you got to be ready to have an answer for every man. Now, notice he says, do it unto God. Do it unto God. Study to show yourself approved. To God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we're studying, we're doing it unto God, not unto men. I I don't need a pat on the back from you. I don't need someone to say, attaboy, you really know your stuff. I don't need that. I just want to make sure I'm pleasing him. I'm not tooting my own horn. All glory goes to him. If anything came out of my mouth that was good, it wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. Because I know when I make a mess of things, that was all me. But when something good comes out of my my mouth, that was all him. And I don't want to be ashamed, so I study to show myself approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That means handling God's word correctly. That means you don't take a word out of context so many people do that they, they take a, a word out of context and then they can make the Bible say whatever they want don't get duped know the Word of God not dividing over little things and opinions someone thinks this verse is saying this keep the main things the main things we are saved by faith Jesus died on the cross for us. He was born of a virgin. He rose on the third day and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Salvation is by faith and faith alone. He goes on to say there in verse 16, But shun profane idle babblings, for they will increase more ungodliness, and their message will spread like a cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of the sort who have strayed concerning truth, saying, that the resurrection is already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. And so, you know, it's interesting, Paul just calls these guys out. And I'm saying that because I've come under fire before for just calling out some of these TV evangelists and just saying these guys are so wrong And, and had people... Come up to me after the service and say, well, I'm so offended that you said that. I watched that program. I go, well, stop. Well, I don't think you should be naming names. Paul did. Listen, my job as a shepherd is to warn you, warn you of the wolves, to let you know when someone's doctrine's off because they can slip in a lot of Jesus over here and then add in some stuff that's not Jesus and lead people astray. If you leave L.A. flying to Hawaii and you're off by one degree, you're going to miss it by the time you get six hours into the flight. You'll miss it altogether. If you can get people off a couple degrees, they can miss heaven completely. They need to know the truth of God that you're saved by faith in what Jesus did, not in what you did. And you need to have sound doctrine. Paul calls these guys out. They were telling people that they already missed the resurrection. It took place. Rapture's done. You missed it. Everybody was freaking out. This is why Paul had to write a letter to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians 2 was for Thessalonians because someone told them they missed the rapture. There was a false letter circulating that that the Caesar was the Antichrist and that they were were in the tribulation, and Paul said, you're not in it yet. The Antichrist can't be revealed until the church is gone. Chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. He had to comfort them. And there's a lot of people that are out there contradicting the Bible. And if you don't know the word of God, you will take it hook, line, and sinker. In verse 19, he says this, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those that are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So when you got saved, you got the seal of God. We were sealed into the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit seals us. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to get us to the finish line. You are his God knows whose are his. I think when we get to heaven, we'll be surprised. Some people are there. We didn't think we're going to be there. And I think we'll be surprised. Some people we thought we're going to be there aren't there. Right. If the Lord came right now, there could be some people sitting here. I don't know. I didn't hear anything, but, but you know, it's, it, this church doesn't save you. I don't save you. Jesus Christ saves you, and you got to make that commitment to him. That's what's so important, that seal, that mark of authentication. Authentic, how do you say it? Authentication? Yeah, that one. We're sealed with that. The mark of security and ownership. Now, how did the Jews pr- prove their faith to other people? They made their front doors a billboard for the Lord. The, if you read Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, they would put these mezuzah, mezuzah, however you say that, on their door, and there was scripture from the Bible in that. They would also put these things, they called them, I think they called them phylacteries or something, where they, you, you, if you go to Israel, you'll see some of them walking around with a little leather box on their head tied around their forehead or on their wrist that has scripture in it, and that let everyone know that they were of the Lord's. The question is, what about the believer today? How does he advertise his faith? Well, the second part of verse 19, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. When people look and they see a new life, because some of you were radical. Some of you guys had a reputation on this island before you got saved. And people knew you. You were a bar brawling, drunk, drug addict, angry, filthy mouth, dirty jokes, punching everybody. And then you got saved. And you scared a lot of people when you came to church. I remember people coming up and go, "You see who's here? You you got to tell him to leave." I go, "Why? Do you know what he does? He just got saved." Oh, isn't that awesome when you see a transformed life? And you know what? Then it freaks out. You know, like remember when Jesus healed the guy that had like thousands of demons in him, and he's like. Jesus, I want to roll with you. Can I get in the boat? And he's like, no, you got to stay here. Be a witness. Because everybody that saw how nuts this guy was, we're now seeing him in his own sound mind and declaring Jesus and worshiping God. That was a testimony. And you're a testimony to this whole community. So how do I recognize a Christian? By his new walk. He's not perfect. He's going to make mistakes, but he doesn't indulge in sin. You find the same idea in in Psalm 6, 8. You see it in Proverbs 16, 6, Matthew 7, 23, Luke 13, 27, all through the scriptures. You see it uh, in Numbers 16 is where Paul really kind of grabs us from when he says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That was everyone that names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Back in Numbers 16, you remember with Korah, Korah came up against Moses. So what happens, is we got we got a little jealousy going on in the ministry. Uh, there was people that were serving, and, and they were like a little upset that you know, Moses and Aaron and his sister were kind of running things. They're like, looks like a little nepotism to me. You know, you guys think that God only uses you, but God uses us. We should have some authority. And he got like 250 leaders against Moses and their families. And he says, you know, we, w- you know, we think you're kind of like hogging all the glory. And Moses' heart was broke. And he said, I didn't ask for this. God told me to do this. And so, you know what? Uh, here's what we do you bring your guys tomorrow, and I'll bring my guys, and we'll stand there, and perhaps the Lord will do a new thing, and we'll see who he picks. And you guys know the story that when they came, Korah came with all of his guys and censors. And then Moses with his guys. And and Moses said, listen, uh, choose this day who you're going to serve, basically. He said, you you either get on our side and run from these guys or you're going to get dealt with. And they didn't do it. And you know what the Lord did? He opened up the earth and swallowed swallowed them. Swallowed Korah and their families and everything. And they went down screaming into the pit. And all the people freaked out and ran thinking they were next. And then this God just brings down this fire and smokes it, seals it back up and that'd wake you up, wouldn't it? <laughs> God hates division. He didn't tolerate it. I think he tolerates it more today, Grace. I don't know. I I, I Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Guys, clean yourselves. Make yourselves to available. God does the cleaning, right? He's the one that does the cleaning, but you, you have to let him clean. He's not going to force you. You still have free will, even though you're a believer. In verse 20, he says, But a great house there is not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That's good stuff right there. How do we get clean? Let me take you to the Christian bar of soap. Uh, 1 John 1, verse 9. Actually, let's back it up to verse 8. Because we need to hear this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You ever talk to somebody who says, I don't sin. You just sin. <laughs> now here it is. Here's our bar of soap. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that good news or what? I don't care what you've done. You messed up. I get it. Don't stay there. Come to the Lord, ask for forgiveness, and He is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and put you on your feet and back in the game. That's our God. That's grace and mercy. The enemy will whisper in your ear: "You're a loser. You're a loser. You're a loser. You can't go back to church. You can't." That's not God. That's the enemy. God says, come to me. He says, my arms are open wide. I'm waiting for you to come home. I want to forgive you. I want to get you back in the game. I love you. I died for you. I want you with me for all eternity. So we see this this cleansing of vessels. Some vessels in your house are of honor and some of dishonor. Some of you, you know what? When I grew up, my mom had like the fine china. You ever have that? Nobody got to eat off it. It was like special occasions. And then the fine silverware came out too, right? You're always like, why don't we do this every day? Oh, it's just too good. Right? Or we break the dish or something or whatever. But, you know, then you had those, like, silver gravy boats or whatever they were. You know what I mean? Vessels of honor. But then you got vessels of dishonor in your house, like a a trash can, a toilet, you know, where stuff that goes in is not really. You know what I'm talking about. And so God says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from the vessel of dishonor, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So what is that saying? That's saying, listen, that's telling us that we are to be a vessel that's empty and available. So so what you do to clean yourself is ask for power by the Holy Spirit and turn from Sinful things and let that vessel be clean and then let that vessel be available for the master's use. And I was thinking about that because I was thinking Timothy's name means God honoring. And I was thinking maybe Paul was trying to encourage Timothy to live up to his name. Just like God's encouraging all of us to live up to what he desires for us. Amen. He says in verse 22, flee Also, youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who are calling on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's good, good teaching right there. What's that? Flee youthful lusts. (laughs) What's that mean? All the junk you used to chase after before you got smart. The things that drove you before don't drive you now. Jesus drives you now. But isn't it funny how you can still get pulled back into it so quickly? Oh, my gosh. That's why God says, take your thoughts captive. Bring it all to me. I will give you strength. Right? Stuff pops into your head. Youthful lusts. Whatever it may be, you're your own person and you got your own stuff you deal with. Take that thought captive, lay it at the feet of Jesus, and be cleansed. So important for us to do. And then he says, verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that it generates strife. And a servant of the Lord, check this out. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The people that don't know Jesus have been taken captive. The Bible says that Satan has blinded their eyes to the truth. They have taken captive. They, they, they've lost their senses. They're, they've lost their mind in a sense. If, if you talk to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, They will say things to you in a way that you'll go, you're you're making good evil and evil good. They don't even know what they're saying. They have such a a warped view on life because they don't know Jesus. And so he says, listen, don't argue with them. Don't. Call them losers. Don't, like, tear them apart over their lifestyle. They already know their lifestyle. In other words, share the love of God with them. You don't have to tell somebody they're gay. You just have to tell them how much God loves them. You don't have to tell somebody you're in fornication, you're in adultery. You just got to tell them how much God loves them. You catch him, he cleans them. You make a lousy Holy Spirit. You just got to say, you know what? God loves you so much, he died for you. He just wants you in the kingdom. Let them come to Jesus and then let the Holy Spirit work on them. Amen. So important for us to understand that. Because right now they've been taken captive by the devil, and they're not in their right minds. And he says, and if you bring truth to them, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. I had to learn that. Maybe you did too. God had to bring me back to grace because I was hellfire and brimstone. If I wasn't winning the argument with an unbeliever, man, I just said, well, you're going to burn in hell. Yeah. But some of you I know did that with me. And God had to teach me grace. Do you know Jesus was only hard on the religious Pharisees, the religious rulers? To everybody else, so much love and grace. I had to learn that. I used to tear up Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. I used to tear them up until God broke my heart for them. They are good people. They are sweet people. They need Jesus. They need the right Jesus. They don't have the right Jesus. That should break your heart for them. And God had to teach me grace with them. Just to love them. Just keep telling them God loved, loved you so much. He died for you. God, it's by his grace that we're saved. You can't earn it. You know, just teaching them truths and telling them stuff. So when they say something, you know, don't argue with them, but show them scripture. Just keep expressing God's love. Letting them know the truth. Here's what the truth is. You're not on track. I remember once doing door-to-door witnessing. I used to do it. Hayana, Wainiha, Hanalei, Princeville. I used to go door to door. Oh my gosh. I used to follow the Jehovah Witness around and then go knock on the door after with them and say, I'm the other guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. But this one day, I was out and there wasn't any Jehovah Witness out and I came up to this door and I knocked on the door and one of the elders, one of the leaders of the Jehovah Witness answered the door. And he said, we're having an elders meeting right now. There was like five of them. And they said, would you like to come in? I said, sure. And they were blown away. They were like amazed that I was going door to door by myself. And I go, I'm not alone. I got the Holy Spirit. And they sat me down at this table. I had five elders from Kingdom Hall sitting around me. And they started peppering me with questions. And, And they were using the King James. But they had their New World Translation too, right? Which that's where it all gets out the window. So they were asking me questions, and God just gave me grace. Because I was ready to unload. I got five in front of me. This is going to be good. And God just calmed me down. And I felt him calm me down. And, and I tried not to say a whole lot. They would say things, and they go, what do you think? I'd go, hand me your Bible. And they hand me the Bible, and i turn it, and i flip it, and I'd go, read that. And then somebody else would come up with something else. i go, let me, let me see. Read this. I was letting the word of God work in their hearts. Right? So then they got on this thing that Jesus never claimed to be God. I go, what? Philippians 2. Didn't think it was robbery to consider himself equal with God. I said, John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the Word. But see, they changed things in the Bible. I said, you know, you think Jesus is Michael the archangel. Show me that in the Bible. They couldn't show me it. I said, then, what are you doing? They go, oh, it's in this book. And I go, no, no, that's not the Bible. Because you won't come up with the things that you believe if you just read the Bible. So I then set them up. And I said, you know, I was reading the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 41. And it says, I am the first and the last. I go, who's that? And they said, that's Jehovah the Father. I go, oh. So then I took them to Isaiah 44, and I said, I am the first and the last. Who's that? And they said, that's Jehovah, the Father. So then I took them to Revelation, because I know they love the book of Revelation. I took them to chapter 1. It says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. I go, who's that? They said, that's Jehovah, the Father. I said, all right. Then I took them to Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, and it says, I am the first and the last who was dead and now alive. I go, who's that? They go, Jehovah. I go, nope. You show me in the Bible where the father ever died. Who died? And one guy goes, Jesus. And then everybody was like the deer in the headlights. And the main guy goes, well, you got to go. We got to finish our meeting. I'm like, I'm going to your neighbors. (laughs) My point is this, though. You got to love them. Because if they see that you're sincere and not just want an argument, I can see somebody coming with an argument a mile away. You don't don't want the truth. You just want to argue. But if you show them how much you really care about them and that their eternity is at stake and that you love them so much that you're going to love on them and give them truth because you care so much, that will change their life. And we've seen folks here in this church who were Jehovah's Witness and Mormons get saved. That's good news. I don't have anything else to say. If the worship team would come forward and uh, let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for just reminding us of how great you are. And how patient you are with us. Lord, that we would act godly. That we would desire to be a clean vessel and available for you. Lord, give us a heart for the lost like you did. We want to be an example of you. We pray right now, every one of us in our heart, Lord, fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh refilling because we're about to go out these doors, Lord, and be ambassadors for Christ. Lord, give us divine appointments. Pour out your spirit on this little church and on our community. We want to see revival come. Sweep this place. And Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, if that's you, would you just pray this in your heart right now? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. And you're seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to the Father except through you. And I now beg you and plead with you, save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. That is so good. You are now His, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And now you can live in His power and not your own. And be used by God. And people are going to see a transformed life in you. Which is going to blow them away. And they're going to want what you have. And so Lord we ask that you would just do amazing things on the north shore of Kauai Lord. Pour out your spirit on us. Light us up for Jesus. And use us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen.